this morning is what are friends for? And I don't know if you can see that picture real well, but it's a dramatic uh, representation of the text that we looked at a few weeks ago in Mark, where the four guys brought their friend uh, to Jesus and they couldn't get in. They lowered him through the roof. And uh, while we, uh, in talking about forgiveness a couple weeks ago, I referenced that scripture. I want to go back to it today. I think there's more there that we can, uh, we can get out of that. So uh, we're going to look at Mark chapter 2 again, but let's just pray real quick and then we'll, we'll jump right in. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, it really is uh, a light for our path, a lamp to our feet. It's a guiding light for us in all that we do. Help us to organize and live our lives according to your word and cause our hearts just to be softened and to receive what you have for us today. In your name we pray, amen. All right, first few verses of Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Okay, this is a strange story, all right? It really is. Uh, they're, they're in a home, all right? And the homes you know, uh, were small, so, you know, probably one room. So if you think of, like, the average living room, but that would be the whole house. So you've got a cooking area on one side and probably a sleeping area. You know, everything's in, in, in one room. It's a small, small area, and it's packed full of people. This is really early on in Jesus' ministry, um, but there's already a buzz. People are already talking about him, and they're curious, and they want to hear from him. So they've gathered around. They've filled this house up, and that's the one thing about the picture we saw. It didn't, it didn't have that. There was like a lot of space in there, but I picture it just being crowded with people. You can't even get in the room. It's so packed. <coughs> and, you know, uh, so Jesus is in there. This crowd of people have gathered around. He's talking about the kingdom or whatever he's talking about. Just imagine this. And then all of a sudden you hear something, you know, anybody like a squirrel runs across the roof or like our house, pine cones fall on the roof and you, you hear that. All of a sudden you hear something on the roof and you go, what, what, what is that? And then it gets louder and louder and then the next thing you know there's debris falling down into the middle of the room. Uh, now, look, let's, I get it. There are probably some cultural differences between the first century and the 21st century some differences between Eastern culture, Western culture. But I'm going to go on a limb and say that cutting a hole in someone's roof is probably not a socially acceptable thing to do. I just don't know that that's a, you know, a commonplace thing. I'm thinking, personally, uh, these guys are potentially going to be in a little bit of trouble for this. It might take a little heat, right? Uh, I don't know if they knew the owner of the home or not. Um, either way... They cut a hole in his roof, you know. Uh, that's that's a that's a bit of a deal, and it's not a small hole. The the man is on a stretcher. Even if he's a small little guy, uh, that's a big hole, right? That's a huge hole, five foot 
six-foot hole in, in the roof of somebody's house. Uh, now, and, and, and also realize this. So all these other people, everybody was there. They came to hear Jesus, right? They want to hear him. They're, they're, they're excited. They're an- anticipating hearing from Jesus. And while they're listening, uh, so, some you know, nut jobs are cutting a hole in the roof. I mean, it's really a kind of a crazy, crazy thing. Um, also, it occurred to me, I don't know, they, they didn't know, these men didn't know how Jesus would react to this. He, he could have been upset that they were interrupting his Bible study. Uh, I mean, I would be upset if somebody was interrupting my Bible study, cutting a hole in the roof. Uh, you know, they didn't know how he would, how he would react to this. Reminded me of a story, uh, it really has nothing to do with anything, but it's funny, so I'll just tell you. But 1994, I was in Australia with John Wimber at a conference, and most of our team, there, there, would, there had been some spiritual warfare and kind of opposition, uh, so most of our team was in the green room, you know, kind of in the back, interceding, and they were praying during the meeting. But uh, some of you guys will remember my friend Tim Milner, he's been here to share with us a few times, but Tim's a big guy, he's 6'4", you know, and uh, Tim and I and a couple of the other leaders were sitting in the front row, and John's talking. And uh, so it's a, t- you know, a typical church building, and there's a, like, you know, he's, he's here, and the, the band stuff is behind him, and then there's a curtain in the back wall. And all of a sudden, John's talking, and the curtain opens, and this guy pops out. And he's, like, looking around, and then he runs over to the drum kit, and he sits down, and he starts banging the drums really loud. But it was very clear he was not a drummer. He was just banging, banging. And so everybody in the whole place is like, whoa, what's going on right now? <laughs> so Milner is sitting next to me, and Milner jumps out of his seat, and he rushes the stage, and he's like RoboCop. And he runs across the stage, and he bear hugs this guy, and he tackles him and drags him back through the curtain. And we're all, everybody, I mean, there's, you know, like 1,500 people sitting there going, what in the heck just happened? Wimber, he, he stops, and he looks around, and then he just keeps talking. And I'm like, you, you're not even going to acknowledge that that happened? You're just going to keep going? I don't know. So my point is, I don't think they knew what Jesus would do when they cut the hole in the roof. But um, Jesus didn't get upset with them. In fact, it says that he saw their faith. Um, did, did you know that faith is visible? He saw their faith. Um, some of you were here Wednesday night when uh, Scott McNamara shared. How many of you guys were here? Scott's an evangelist from Northern Ireland, the Causeway Coast Vineyard. Great guy, fantastic guy. And during the day, in the afternoon, before we came here, uh, I went with him to Pioneer Square downtown and observed him talking to people and leading people to Christ. And he led three people to Christ in about 45 minutes. It was, it was wild. But he, here's the thing. On at least two of the three men that he prayed for and led to Christ, you could, I saw their face change. Scott walks up to them, and he has this little card, and he asks them a question. At first, they're like, what? Yeah, no, I've never seen that. I don't know what you're talking about. And they're kind of like confused. And then he starts this dialogue, and he asks a couple more questions. And, and then he begins to talk about sin and debt and removing your debt. And I'm not kidding. You could see 
their face changed, and all of a sudden there was like the light came on, and you could see faith. It was unbelievable. And I mean, I knew at that moment, this guy's in. I mean, I could tell, this guy's in. Uh, just watching that, you could really see it. Here, here's the deal. Faith is a commitment to move in a direction towards God. That's what faith is. Faith is a commitment to move in a direction towards God. So the four guys, Jesus saw their faith. They had made a commitment to move towards God. They were going to get their friend to Jesus no matter what. Regardless of the consequences, they didn't know what was going to happen, but they are going to get their friend to Jesus. Sometimes faith is confused for being a certainty of the outcome. So let me ask you, if you've ever experienced anything like this, bless you, dear. You, I, I've had this happen to me. You pray for someone who's sick and they don't get healed, and then the, somebody says, well, you must not have had enough faith. Anybody ever heard that before? You must not have had enough faith. Well, well here, here's the deal. F faith is not being certain of the outcome. In my mind, if you prayed, you have faith. Because you've made a commitment to move in a direction towards God. You don't know the outcome, but you said, I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to move towards him no matter what. That's what faith is. These guys didn't know what would happen, but they said, we're going to get our friend to Jesus. That's what we're going to do. They moved in a direction towards God. They had faith. Here's something John used to say. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K, right? Faith is spelled risk. You take a risk. Let, let me... Let me give you a little, if, you, if you're certain of the outcome, there's no risk, is there? That's not faith. If we know something's going to happen, there's no risk. It's going to happen, right? That's not faith. Faith is believing that God's going to respond when I move towards him, and that's the difference. And, and, and let me say this, that's the kingdom of God, and that's how the kingdom of God works. Um, it works in community. We've been talking about community. That's kind of the over arching theme of our series right now. And, and here's, here's the thing. These, these, these men brought their friend to Jesus in community. They were together. It was people helping other people get to God. That's how the kingdom works. It's in relationship. It's people helping other people get to God. Um, John tells us that God is love, right? You can't be love alone. <laughs> love is a relationship. And so we know that the... <laughs> Whose kid is that anyway? Uh, he's adorable, isn't he? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're in heaven, they're in relationship. They're in this love relationship all together in heaven. And th that's why God is love, because he's already a relationship. And it's a mystery. We don't... I, I, we don't fully understand how that works, but it works. God's there, and he's in relationship. God is love because he's connected, and that's the context that he created the world in, to be in relationship. I, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, doing some reading, and I, I, I came across you know, something the other day. In Genesis chapter 1, during creation... At different stages during creation, God takes a step back and he kind of surveys his work, right? He looks around to see how he's doing. And it says he saw that it was good, right? He saw it was good. 
And he does that a few times. It was good, it was good, it was good. And then after day six, God creates man, and he takes a step back, and he looks, and he sees everything he made, and he says, it was very good. It was very good. It was very good. Now, if something is good, right, there has to be a comparison or a contrast. To know that something is good, you have to know what's not good, right? Right? So think about it. When you're when your kids, you're teaching them, they're growing up, you're teaching them behavior. Well, this is good behavior, this is bad behavior. Don't throw that at your brother because that's not good. That will hurt. Do this. That's good. So it's good behavior, bad behavior. Uh, so God said it was good, it was good, it was good, it was very good. Anybody remember what God said is not good? To be alone. Creation was good. God made us in relationship. It's not good to be alone. He created us for relationship. All kingdom dynamics work in relationship. All kingdom dynamics work in relationship. We, 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 are, we are woven together. We are interconnected. We are inseparable. My, my story involves you. Without you, my story isn't complete. And your stories involve one another. Without each other, our stories aren't complete. We, we don't have what we are and who we are in God without one another. We love to tell stories. We love to tell our stories of things that happened and the history and, and times of, of uh, blessing in God. Think about, I was thinking about these guys imagining years down the road talking about this event. Hey, man, remember that time we lowered Ojimbo through the roof at Mr. Edelstein's house? That was crazy. Yeah, I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, I thought maybe Jesus would get upset. There was stuff falling everywhere. And, and he just looks and he says, your sins are forgiven. I just think that, think about them telling that story. The kingdom is in relationship. It's, it's, it's not an exclusive relationship. It's an inclusive relationship. It began with the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And, and they're having the amazing time just dancing around heaven or wherever they are, wherever they were or are, I don't know. I don't know where they are. But think of them together just enjoying each other's presence. But that's not the end of the story. They sent Jesus here to be with us. Jesus came for one reason, only one reason, to have relationship with you and I to extend an invitation to that relationship that the Father, Son, and the Spirit have in heaven to you and me and to say we want you to be a part of the love relationship that we have together. That's what it's all about. We've talked about this before, but it says uh, that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. And the joy was, again, remember the cross, that was not fun. That was not a joyful time. What was the joy before him? The knowledge that he would have a relationship with you and I. That was the joy set before him. He sacrificed his life, his blood. He endured the cross to have a relationship with us. And, and, and he wants us to do the same thing. He wants us to take the healing that we've received, the freedom that we've received, the deliverance that we've received, and to share that, extend that into the hearts and lives of other people as well. That's really what he's called us to do and to be about. That, that's the way everything in the kingdom works. Everything. Think about it. So, spiritual gifts. 
God gives spiritual gifts, right? But he gives you a gift. It's not a gift until you use it to help someone else, is it? Think of that's all the gifts work that way. They're, they're given to one person to benefit another. They're never for the benefit of the person that gets them. They're always for the benefit of someone else. Think about the fruit of the Spirit for a minute. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Did I forget one? But those things don't exist in isolation either, right? Kindness, goodness, gentleness. Those things don't matter if you're by yourself. Where they work, where they happen, where they bear fruit is really in relationship. It's all about being in community together and helping one another get closer to Jesus. Um, Back to the roof guys for a minute. I think this is kind of something I... I really want to make a a point. I think it's important for us today. I don't know them. We don't know anything about them, except that they were committed to getting their friend of Jesus. That's all we really know. But I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that they weren't perfect. I'm gonna guess they may have had issues in their lives. Maybe maybe one of them was dealing with some anger. Maybe one of them had some addiction problems. I don't know. Maybe one of them had gotten in an argument with his wife that morning. Um, I'm going to say there may have been some stuff in their lives. And I'm wondering, what if they thought, hey, we really don't have any right. We can't take our friend to Jesus because we haven't taken care of our own stuff. Where would their friend be? Well, he, he, would, he would be lying on a stretcher somewhere. That's where he'd be. Sometimes, I think, we allow the enemy to get in our heads and cause us to think that I have to have it all together before God can use me to touch anybody else. Anybody ever feel that way? I, I have to be completely healed and completely whole and completely perfect and right with God in every way before I can pray for somebody else. You know, uh, Wimber was known outside the vineyard in the church at large primarily for healing ministry. That's what, that's what he was kind of known for, was healing. And the irony of that was that he was not a very healthy guy. Literally, doctors had been telling him since he was 29 years old that he was going to die. And he was sick a lot. And in the 20 years that I knew him, uh, he had high blood pressure and heart problems. He was, he was overweight, obviously, continuously. He had a stroke, recovered from that, had cancer, recovered from that. And, and here's the thing. In all of that, it never stopped him from praying for the sick. It never even slowed him down. And he was criticized for that. People, well, how do you pray for the sick? You're sick. Well, John would say, I teach the word, not my experience. Us has prayed. He didn't say, I got to be better to pray. You know, a little closer to home, I was just thinking this week again about most of you know about our grandkids, the Matt and Jordan's twins, and uh, what they've been through in the last year. But what you might or might not know, I don't know if you know this, but um, that was an exciting time for us to, as a family, you know, to Holly carrying the baby. We found out it was babies. When we found out it was a boy and a girl, it was very exciting. Then she dilated, and it was way early. It's not supposed to happen this way. And she's in the hospital, 
And so this is a critical thing. Pretty scary. Scary for John and Holly, scary for Jordan and Matt, scary for us. And so we're praying, and the girls are in the hospital, and they've got worship music playing, and they've got some scripture verses on the wall. People are kind of coming in and out and praying, and the presence of God was evident, tangible. You could feel it in the room. And a nurse comes in, and she sees this, and she hears this, and she feels this, and she says, you won't believe this, but this morning, my friend sent me a text and was kind of telling me how I really need to get to church and get my life straight with God and just different things. I've been kind of distant and away for a long time. So here's this crisis situation in the lives of these two girls, and they go, well, can we pray for you? And so they prayed for her, and God touched her, and she called her friend and said, you won't believe what just happened. So a couple days later, who shows up but her friend? Says, hey, you guys pray for my friend. And then she tells them about her daughter, who she has a severely disabled three-year-old daughter, and they go, hey, let us pray for you. And so they pray for her. So in the midst of their own crisis, in the midst of their own challenges and difficulties, they had a, a profound impact on other people. So the question isn't, do I have everything in line in my own life? The question really is, can God use me to help somebody else right now? I read a kind of quote this week. I really like it. The difference between a sinner and a saint. A saint is a sinner who keeps getting up. You don't give up. Here's something I've noticed. And you can tell me if you think I'm right or wrong. You guys know the rules, right? In case you're new, you don't know the rules. For the price of an Americano, I'll sit down and talk about any American. I'm a cheap date. Um, here's what I've noticed over the years. Wounded people wound people. You run into somebody and they're, they've got a hard outer shell and sometimes they're a little... Little mean, little cranky, not very nice. It's easy to write that off and just go, I don't like being around them. What I found is if you get into their life a little bit and you look behind the crankiness, you find out somewhere there's some pain in their own lives that's led them to where they are today. And here's the beauty of the kingdom of God this is it right here is that Jesus turns that whole thing upside down and he takes wounded people and he uses them to heal people. That's the beauty of it all. Henry Nouwen, I don't know if you guys ever read Henry Nouwen. I, I, I love Nouwen. He wrote a whole book on that called The Wounded Healer. And uh, I highly, highly recommend it. It's a little book. It's precious. Here's just one quote. Jesus has given this story a new fullness by making his own broken body the way to health, to liberation and new life. Thus, like Jesus, those who proclaim liberation are called not only to care for their own wounds and the wounds of others, but also to make their wounds into a major source of healing for others. Jesus takes wounded people and he uses them to heal people. So, in summary this morning, three, three things really. First of all, everything happens in relationships kingdom of God works in and through one another. Relationship, helping others get to Jesus. That's really the, the heart and soul of everything in the kingdom. 
Two, it requires faith. But faith is not a certainty of the outcome. Faith is simply a commitment to moving in a direction towards God. Third thing is this, that uh, we absolutely do not have to have it all together to participate. That um, God, God will take our brokenness, our woundedness, our flaws, our frailties, our weaknesses, and right where we are today, he'll allow us to participate and to use those things to help touch someone else's life. Amen. Let's stand.